As I mentioned at the outset, today we continue our journey of understanding what it means for us to be witnesses in this world today. To be reminded that as Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples then that they would be his ongoing witnesses. And that we as the church believe that that witness has continued from the apostles even into us today. That we, the modern church, take up that task of being witnesses in the world for Christ. That we have the power to witness through our care as a community and how we care for one another. We have the power to witness of who God is through healing. The healing of body, mind, and spirit among us. And we are now called to also be witnesses who speak with power about the life-transforming love of God that is for every single one of us. I think we would all agree that every single one of us are evangelists. Wouldn't you agree? Now let me tell you what I mean by that, all right? We are people who tell stories. We tell stories of events. We tell stories of people. We tell stories of products that make a significant impression upon us. And we go out and we share those stories with other people. And we become evangelists on their behalf because we tell the good news about some of these things. Or we tell about how they have enraged us in some way. So we become communicators who tell with strong emotions these stories. We know the marketplace around us thrives on evangelists. The conversations that people have amongst themselves, the stories that they tell, their verbal witness regarding the things that they experience. The story of God we know needs as well modern evangelists. People who will go out in the power of the Spirit and tell the good news of what God is doing. So let me give you an example of what I mean by this, of how we are evangelists in the world today. There was an article that was written about six months ago or so that was titled, Psychologically Scared Millennials Are Killing Countless Industries. Okay? So there's a lady by the name of Kate Taylor. She works for what's called Business Insider Magazine. She interviewed a Morgan Stanley analyst that talked about all these different industries that are starting to suffer because of the power of the millennial voice and the fact that millennials don't like some of these industries and they won't participate in them. And so these folks are having to respond to these kinds of things. One of them is casual dining chains. So places like Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's, they're seeing a significant trend in the millennial population coming to dine at these places. They just don't go to them for the most part. Not all millennials, right? I want to qualify that. Not all of you millennials do these things. But there's a significant enough trend that they're paying attention to these things. Instead, they say millennials like to cook at home a little bit more. Or they pick up the phone and use Grubhub or Uber Eats to deliver their meals to their house, right? So they're changing some of the dynamics. Home ownership and starter homes are another industry that's seeing the impact of this because millennials aren't buying homes as early or at the same rate as some of their predecessors have. And if they do buy, they might consider more buying their forever home rather than a starter home and moving up. So there's some demographic shifts that might be going on there. Corporate beer is out, according to millennials. They like craft beers. Paper napkins are out because a paper napkin is redundant. A paper towel serves much more, many more complicated needs than, than just a paper napkin. So paper napkins are on their way out. Restaurants who require their waitresses to wear skimpy outfits. 
are out. Do I need to name those for you, by the way, this morning? You got an idea of what I'm talking about? All right. If you don't, talk to me afterwards. Breakfast cereal, because it's way too messy, too inconvenient. Golf, because it takes too long to play and has way too many rules, is out. Bar soap, holds too many germs. Diamonds and designer handbags, well, you know, everybody gets those. They want to be a little bit more unique in their presence. Banks, you can't trust them with your money. Big department stores like Macy's and Sears and Home Depot and Lowe's are on the way out. Cable TV is definitely on the way out because they don't like paying for all the channels that they're not going to watch. And other things like motorcycles, football, corporate gyms, and big oil. You think about the power of a generation and the voice that they have for good or how they can also have that same voice that begins to minimize other things. The power of a generation and their purchasing power and their practices to speak volumes about industries and what they want to support and what they don't want to support. Evangelist. We're all evangelists in the culture in which we are a part of. Now, the interesting thing is if you have something really important to say to someone, people, for the most part, will stop. And they will listen to what you have to say. And they'll take note of it. Especially kids. You think about the important things that kids have to say to us and the fact that we need to stop sometimes and listen to them. How many of you remember the show Kids Say the Darndest Things when Art Linkletter was the host? Now, that goes back a ways, right? Most of us are more familiar with Bill Cosby when he was the host. But if you ever flipped through the channels and you saw kids, uh, saw the, the show and you saw some of the kids on there and things like that, it, you basically got trapped listening to them tell their little stories because they say some pretty unique things and some pretty interesting things. They capture your imagination. They begin to tell their little stories of things that go on in, in their lives. Here's a couple of them I wanted to share with you and see if they might capture your imaginations as well. There's a little girl who came bouncing down the stairs wearing a tutu and a sparkly sweater. Her and her mom were going to go to the movies together. And her mom looked at her and said, Whoa, honey, you're really dressed up. Don't you think you're a little overdressed to go to the movies? You look pretty fancy. And the little girl looked at her mom and said, Mom, does the movie theater say no fancy allowed? Madeline, age four, she came into the hospital room after her new little baby brother had been born. The nurse had taken the little boy and swaddled him all up in his little blanket, put his little cap on him and put him back in the little bassinet thing. The little sister came in. She kind of peered over the edge of it. She looked at him, and then she looked at her mom and said, so when is he going to grow arms? A mom was passing by her son's room. She kind of smelled something that just was a little odd. She sniffed in his room with a little bit. And she says, you know, son, your room smells a little stale. He quickly looked at her and said, Mom, I don't smell any staleness in here. All I smell is a whole lot of greatness. Oh, come on, that was funny. <laughs> Are you folks asleep already? Now, here's the one, though, that I thought was rather intriguing. It was one of the stories that came out. It was about a little boy and his father, and they were talking. And the, the father said to the little boy, he says, You know, I don't know about you, but the hospital is not my favorite place to be. The little son thought for a second. He said, Well, Dad, when you were in the hospital, it was really the only place that I could come and see you. 
So for a short period of time, the hospital was my favorite place. The profound things that kids can say, the evangelist that they become for the things that are important to them, you know, the interesting thing about small children, I find, is, is that they are unencumbered by maturity and they have not been tainted yet by life's lessons. So they feel pretty free to speak whatever is on their minds. They're not silenced by all these things that we have experienced as adults. They're not silenced by others' opinions. They speak. What is unimportant, they speak what's very important. They become free evangelists for what's on their hearts and their minds in that moment. Now you think about the apostles and and the life-altering message that they were sharing with the people in Jerusalem because God had granted them the power of the Holy Spirit to speak on God's behalf, to share with everyone that they came in contact with the story of this Jesus that they had wandered for three years with, this man that they had witnessed healing people. This man that they had seen crucified, betrayed and crucified. This man that they experienced as the risen Lord. And they were given the power to replicate his ministry in words and in deeds. Now some of the people that they encountered would listen to them. Others of them, they would reject them. They would try to silence and suppress the apostles. You think about the scripture that we read last week, right? Peter and John, early on in the book of Acts. They're coming to the temple. It's their time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You remember the story, right? They're walking up on the the porch by the beautiful gate and they encounter a crippled man who'd been sitting there. He's waiting. He's waiting for people to give him financial support. He's begging for them to be able to give him some money so that he might basically survive and live. Peter looks at this man. He sees this man and he says, you know what? I don't have any money to give you, but I'll give you what I do have. Do you remember what he said to him? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you are healed. That's what he gave to him. A promise of healing in the name of Christ in that moment. Then it says that Peter stuck out his right hand and the man took his hand and he stood up on crippled legs that were now healed. And he began to walk around and then he began to shout and praise God. And guess what that did? It caused a commotion on the porch by the beautiful gate. The people began to rush over to Peter and John to see what had transpired because they recognized this crippled man. They'd walked by him many times, day in and day out. They had seen him and they came to see what had transpired in that moment because here's this man sharing his witness about what God had done for them. Now, the interesting thing of it is it wasn't just worshipers in the crowd on that day. It also says that there were a particular other group of folks there. They were the priests, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. They saw this commotion as well, and they came over to find out what was going on, to confront Peter and John in this moment. They actually arrested Peter and John, and they put them in jail overnight. And the next day it says that they brought them out before the elders and the legal experts of Torah law. They gathered along with their religious elite, which would have been Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and members of the high priest family. They brought them before them to explain themselves, what had transpired. But the interesting thing of it is, is they didn't ask them about the words or the deeds that they had done in that moment. They asked them this question. By what authority and in whose name did you do these things? By what authority or in whose name did you heal 
this man? Or by what authority or in whose name did you speak to the people about Jesus, about repentance or resurrection? They questioned their power, the legitimacy of it, and their authority. To which Peter, now filled again with the Holy Spirit, begins to witness to them. He gives them a verbal witness of where this power and authority comes from. It comes from the one they had rejected and whom they now accepted. And that power and authority was for them to proclaim this person as the cornerstone, the rock, the one through which salvation is now granted by God for all people. If you think about this story, I think what inspires me about the story is Peter and John who can boldly speak in this moment and people would listen and people hear what is going on. That they would simply share a story about a man that they had personally witnessed, they had encountered, who had made a profound impact upon them, who had inspired them to live in the same way as he lived. That they wanted the power of God to be upon them to do the same things that Jesus did, to speak with the same power and authority that Jesus had. And that God granted those things to them, gave them the power to speak, even in the face of resistance. And think with me now, the, the last time that someone threatened to throw you in jail for sharing your story of Jesus. Has anybody ever threatened to throw you in jail? You spent a day, a couple of days, a week, a month, a year, anybody for telling your story of Jesus. Actually, I think we all know that we face like zero resistance today. There's no resistance in the world around us. Now, we might have family, friends, and acquaintances that might disagree with our religious assumptions and our beliefs, right? But no one's going to persecute us. No one's going to throw us in jail or oppress our voice. We're not going to lose our life if we speak about who Christ is. We are free to do so in our world. The question we have to ask ourselves is when was the last time we took up this freedom and spoke about who Jesus was to another person? Because I suggest to you, dear friends, that the person that silences our voices is ourselves. We choose to be silent. We choose not to share our story. And yet our friends, our neighbors, our community that is around us, they can't afford for us to be silent about who God is and what God offers to each and every one of us. That through Christ, hearts and lives can be changed for the better. I wonder how many of us are actually talking about and sharing this life-altering message with others. How many of us does it take to share this message with others? It takes one of us. It takes all of us to share the story of Christ. Because we want something to transpire. We want, we believe that this will perpetuate who God is in our community and among us as well. We want our church to thrive as a community that cares for other people and is growing in its care and its concern for others, right? Our son-in-law, Matt, he is the last, he's the only son in the Slater line for him, all right? So we're hoping and praying that when he and Brooke decide to have children, that God might grant them one son. They're praying for that as well because they want the Slater name to be carried on for the generations to continue to carry the Slater name. Most of you know our son Jordan got married recently. And Jordan's one of three grandsons that carries the Hoffman last name in our family tree. Now, one of his cousins has two daughters already. And we're thinking he's a lost cause. The other one happens to be gay. 
So Margaret and I are praying that when Jordan and Karina have children, if God would bless them, that they might get a boy as well, so that the Hoffman family name might be carried on. We're they're concerned about these things. Those of us that have family names and family dynamics, we think about these things. We care about it. We hope for it. We pray for these things. For our family to live on and our family names to live on. Last week I told you a little bit about Walter Brueggemann, right? What did I call Walter Brueggemann last week? Do you remember? The cherry. Thank you very much. Yeah, he's the, he's the premier in Old Testament scholarship that's alive today. And I, I, I had a quote for you last week. Guess what? You're going to get another one this week as well, right? Brueggemann said this, and, and I thought this was most profound. He said, we need to stop asking the question, will our children have faith? How many of us ask that question? Will our children be people of faith? Brueggemann says what we really should answer is this question. Will our faith have children? You see the dynamic? The difference? The distinction? Think about it for our community of faith. Many of you are not aware of this, but we are... We are benefactors of people who have been part of our church's history and who have loved St. John's and who, through their wills and their estates, continue to love upon St. John's. We get financial contributions from them every single year. They are family names like the Korshots, the Morlocks, John's parents, um, Alan Joyce, and many others. And, And other people like Elmer and Clarice Dennis give significant contributions to our endowments. And so from our endowments, we get a certain draw off of that every year that benefits the church, that keeps us financially solvent and alive. You probably recall that a letter got sent to every single one of our homes earlier this year and asked that if you would be kind enough to just let our endowment chair know We'd like to know how many families have done that and are prepared for that as well. Now, believe it or not, 16 of you families have done that. You've let us know that. But I don't think that's the whole list. I'm going to assume there's probably others that are in here. But here's what I want you to know, right? That your benefit to St. John's will keep us financially solvent for many, many years to come. But what good will it do if our faith does not have children. And think of it this way, too. It's not that it's about the preservation of the institution that is St. John's. I look at it this way. It's about the preservation of a community of love and care that is a safe harbor from a brutal world, a place where people can gather together in like mind, in unity, and in faith. For that to happen, it takes each one of us being a witness, a powerful witness in the world around us of who Christ is and what Christ means to us and to invite others to come and be a part of it. For us to all be evangelists, to tell our stories of things that have inspired us when it comes to our community of faith, that attract us and keep us connected to this community. Because every single one of us are evangelists. We tell stories. We talk about people, events, things like that that have made a significant impression upon us. And I'm hoping and praying that Jesus has made a significant impression on you and that you'll go out and tell someone that story. To be an evangelist that tells the story of God's love, mercy, and redemption. So here's what I hope you take away from today. 
to be reminded that if something makes a really significant impression on us, positive or negative, we are good at telling the story about it. Peter and John, they were eyewitnesses to the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It made a lasting impression upon them. They became the eyewitnesses who told the story in the power of the Spirit. They told Jesus' story everywhere that they could. And the modern church needs to continue that as well, through our own stories, to tell the story of what Christ means for us, the community that we're rooted in that demonstrates love and mercy and redemption, to be a people who are evangelists for your community of faith. So here's your invitation. Here's what I hope you'll consider today and this week. Do you know somebody that's friend, an acquaintance, that is looking for a place to belong, looking for a community of care and love? Have you thought about inviting them to experience what you experience here? To be an eyewitness to and an evangelist to what God is doing in your own heart and life. Do you know someone that's looking for a change in their life, for their heart and life to be inspired and changed? Have you shared your story of Jesus Christ? Have you invited them to experience that as well? I know it's a challenge for us. We Christians have become pretty good at being passive about these kinds of things. And yet, that's what will preserve St. John's. Our community of love and care is for each one of us to be an evangelist who shares about what God means to you and could mean to the world around us. And so let us pray. Merciful and gracious God, In this moment, we come before you, and we're reminded, O oh God, that, that somewhere along the line, someone told us the story. They shared with us their witness. This didn't come to us by osmosis. This didn't drop down to us out of the heavens. Someone shared their life and their life experience with us. They have nurtured us in the faith. They have created us and cared for us in this community of love and mercy and redemption. They welcomed us. Lord, help us to be responsible for that. Responsible in such a way that we go forth, that we might be your evangelist in the world, who tell of this story that has nurtured our hearts and shaped us and formed us, that tells the story of a community that embraces, welcomes, and loves. O oh Lord, give us the power of your Spirit, the power to speak of who you are in this world. And we ask this in Christ.